All right, all right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Prophet is Don here, and I am the senior pastor of Life Path Apostolic Agape House of Prayer. And I thank and praise God for each and every one of you under the sound of my voice. Amen. All right, so we've got another study to get through. Uh, our last study took me longer than I thought because when I go back down memory lane, come on now, I just go on and on and on. I don't know how to stop, but the word of God is so good. It is so, so good. So uh, let's continue with our journey and I'm going to try to be as quick as possible to get us through uh, the overview of the book of Exodus so we can take a deeper dive. I can't remember what book. I think we were in 20, somewhere around there uh, since our last study, but I'm praying that on Thursday night, uh, we will be able to come together and uh, go through the discussion uh, questions. Amen. Uh, so prayerfully, we all can come together and we can learn together. Amen. But in order to do that, y'all got to get in the word. These are supplements. They're supplements, but they are no, by no means a replacement from digging into the word for yourself. Amen. I love the, um, the audio Bibles, the audio Bibles, because you can listen to them. You can listen to them. It's almost like a, having a story narrated to you. Uh, nothing says, nothing says that we have to physically read a book uh, when God has given us some provisions. As a matter of fact, neuro, neuro, neurologically, neurologically, our brains don't know the difference, right? Because we are retrieving and accessing this knowledge. Amen. All right. So anyway, get your app, get your Bible app <laughs> and listen. If you can't do nothing else, uh, we don't have excuses anymore. Amen. All right. Uh, we're in the book of Exodus and the book of Exodus. Father God, we thank and praise you for this opportunity to come and to study together. Lord God, we pray that you will expose to us who you are through your word. Father, we're seeking you and we pray that we may find you. You are a mighty God. You're an awesome God. We thank you for all of the provision that you have made for us. Continue to keep us and bless us and protect us, Lord God, and provide for us, your dear children. We love you and we pray that we grow in our faith just as those that we are reading about, Lord God. We thank and praise you for your word. And without it, we cannot live. So we thank you. We do not take it for granted that you are imparting in us in this season and that the foundation is being laid. Amen, amen. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Thank God and amen and amen. Father God, take full reign and control over this study. Amen. All right, so let me see. Where did I leave off? All right, so Exodus. Exodus is a story of how God saved his people, his people from Egypt. And so God's people in this uh, story, in this book, are the Israelites. And the Israelites are the descendants of Abraham. And the Israelites are part of the covenant relationship that God had with Abraham. It was reinforced through Isaac and it was reconfirmed and reestablished through Jacob, whose name was then turned to uh, Israel. Amen. All right. So the book of Exodus is the story of God rescuing his children of Israel from Egypt and forging a relationship with them. So during this time, as they were in exile, as they were going through the passage from uh, uh, enslavement to freedom, God forged a special relationship with them. And so this is the second book of what we call the five books of Moses, or what the Bible references or biblical theologians reference as the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, penta meaning five, the Pentateuch. 
And that's where we find the stories about the 10 plagues, what we talked, we talked a little bit about the first Passover, the Red Sea, and the Ten Commandments. We haven't yet gotten into the Ten Commandments, but we are getting there. And so the book gets its name from the nation of Israel's uh, mass immigration from Egypt. And so Exodus, meaning to exit, uh, is where the book received its name. And it's, it follows the story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt into the desert. And so as they were in the wilderness, they learned God. They, they depended on God. They had no other choice. And so this is the book where God establishes the Ten Commandments, where he shared with them as they were in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments. And it's also where they built the tabernacle. Amen. So where where we learn about the tabernacle, the tabernacle. I don't know what's wrong with this tongue of mine. But anyway, the the key characters in Exodus is first and foremost God. First and foremost God, my my favorite scripture, and I say this often, is where God, when uh, Moses asked God, he said, who do I tell them sent me? He said, tell them I am that I am. Well, I'm telling you, I'm not even trying to relegate that to gangster because that's too human and, and too humanistic, but that is divine. He said, I am that I am. I stand on my own. So the story highlights Yahweh, or God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and everything above, beneath, and in between. And a God who chose a certain set people to make covenant with. And it also talks about Moses. Moses is a prophet. And Moses is the prophet or the intermediary between the children of Israel and God. He's their spokesperson, not just uh, to Pharaoh, but he's also their spokesperson to God. God passes his laws through Moses so that his people will know them and understand. And so Aaron, Aaron is Moses' brother. He's his brother. He's his right-hand man. He's his mouthpiece. He's the one that he uses to speak on his behalf because he had a speech impediment. And then also we learn about Pharaoh. Pharaoh being um, an antagonist of God's people and one who feared their prosperity. So he enslaved the nation of Israel and he began an effort to commit uh, genocide against them. He not only worshiped other gods, he saw himself as a god. He understood that he was a god in his mind. He thought that he was a God, and he viewed God or revered the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, I am, that I am, as a lesser God. But we learned through the Bible he had to find out. He messed around and found out who God really was in a magnificent way. All right, so there are a few key themes that are in the book of Exodus, a few key themes. Uh, Number one, it's key to know that Exodus is all about God making Israel his own. So it's all about God putting his stamp on, marking his territory, and making Israel his own. He rescues the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And this is important because it is the manifestation or the realization of the promises that God had made to their ancestors previous before them. And not only does he uh, rescue them and in his uh, marking of his territory, he also instructs them. He tells them this is what is appropriate and this is what is not appropriate. And finally, he set up camp in the midst of them. So remember, in the beginning, Adam and Eve walked with God. Periodically, um, uh, Abraham talked with God. We even see when Noah talked to God. But in this instance, while they were in the wilderness, God set up uh, a place where he dwelt amongst, amongst them, in the midst of them, even though they did not have direct access to him. But he set up camp in the midst of this new nation, and he became their God, and they became his people. All right, he gives them the Ten Commandments and he frames them by stating his relationship to the Hebrews. And so in Exodus 20 and 2, the word of God says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He reminded them, not only Am I building this covenant, but I rescued you. I rescued you because you belong to me. The book of Exodus is also a redemptive story. It is a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption. God heard the cries of the children of Israel. And irrespective of their disobedience, irrespective of their draw away from God, God redeemed them from their oppressors. And he redeemed them and made them his own. Exodus is a book that is of the covenant. It is a book that speaks of the covenant, the core around or the centerpiece of the theme of this uh, book is the covenant. It's God's binding agreement with his people, again, establishing himself as their God and establishing them as his people. And not only with that, with the covenant came expectations that with the benefits for the Israelites that they would uphold, God would give them the benefits and they would uphold their part of the agreement. God ain't like us. <laughs> You're going to give them his. And if not, there would be consequences. And God, being a sovereign God, being a loving God, being a God who is merciful, he only reprimands those that belong to him. The other key theme in the book of Exodus is God's presence. It's God's presence. If if we look at the beginning of the book of Exodus, the children of Israel, they are crying out to God. They are crying out to God to, to save them, to help them as they are contending with this Pharaoh who wants nothing to do with them but to murder them. He he despises them. And God hears them, and he remembers his promises to Abraham, and he redeems them. He rescues them. God meets them in the wilderness And he's high atop the mountain and he provides for them instruction. And it doesn't matter how close they got to God, they still were far away. And so he built a dwelling place 
in the midst of Israel while they were in the wilderness to dwell with them. And, and he did that to separate them, to set them apart from every other nation in the world to show them who he was. That he is a God who dwells with his people. And just like the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us. This was a physical representation of God dwelling amongst and within his people. But because of the state of man and because of the the time that they were in, Jesus had not yet come. They did not have direct access to God. They had to enter into the tabernacle and there were special instructions. Exodus is also about the law. Also about the law. It talks about the direction that God had given his people. The law, what we call the law of Moses. And what God has given his people. We start out again. Egypt being oppressed. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Israel being oppressed by Egypt. Moses coming and telling them, let my people go. He stood up to the Pharaoh. He exposed him. He escaped the genocide in the beginning. And he tried to save Israel, but they rejected him. His own people rejected him. And so he ran off into exile. And so God sent Moses back. He said, go back. I'm going to use you to save my people. And so in the book of Exodus, we learned about the 10 plagues. And then we learned about how it got so bad for Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, come get your people. And then when stuff started to die down, Pharaoh said, oh, forget about it. I want him back. Sent his, his soldiers to go after them. And so God took them through a path that diverted danger because they could have gone through where the Philistines were. And it would have been more dangerous for them. God said, no, I got a shortcut. And we're going to go through the Red Sea. And God parted the Red Sea for enough time that the children of Israel could pass through. And they passed through and they went into the wilderness. And God met Moses on Mount Sinai where he gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him the law. And while he was up there, they decided, hey, we need to make some kind of God. We need to pay homage to this God and show him how much we appreciate him. But they were actually modeling the practices of idol worshipers. They created this calf, this golden calf unto God, and God was not pleased And so when the Ten Commandments were given and they were broken, Moses said, you're either with me or you're against me. And God had given him the directive to eliminate those who were not. And so he passed that on to his generals to eliminate them. While they were worshiping that golden calf, he came down. He said, all right now, either you're with me or not. 
some of them were like, okay, we with you. Other ones were like, we not. And he said, all right, you got to go. And so God gave them a second chance. God gave them a second chance. Even though they uh, broke the Ten Commandments, they didn't listen, they didn't heed his word. But we're beginning to see the heart of God concerning his people. He will correct you in his sovereignty. You will have to recompense for the things that you have done. But God is a patient God. God is a long-suffering God. God is a God who will chastise his children into obedience. And so... um, God allowed them to build the tabernacle in which God filled. God filled the tabernacle. And they walked with God. It's an exodus that the story of the Bible just really, that the, the drama, you know, the themes just really start to blare and and come out and, and where we begin to see the foundation of the relationship with God and his people that lead us through the New Testament and, and how he relates and even as it applies to us today. A lot of people say that we are no longer under the uh, Adamic or Adam Covenant. We're no longer under the Mosaic covenant, but then we want to be under the Abrahamic covenant. <laughs> Skip over the others and say we're no longer under uh, these things. But the reality is, and this is what I've resolved to in my walk, if it All right, so so where was I? Um, I think I was talking about the um, and like the core themes throughout Exodus, right? So so that we have a clear understanding um, of of the Word of God as we continue uh, in our study. And so Genesis, Genesis was, again, it was where God made the promise. He made the promise to Abraham and uh, that he would uh, allow them to possess the land of Canaan. And so Genesis was a story of how God worked through a single family to establish his covenant. And Exodus is that uh, maturation or maturing of that relationship and so the descendants that God said would be a mighty people were beginning to come on the scene and we were beginning to see them um, multiply expeditiously (laughs) my T.I. word expeditiously Um, they began to uh, multiply And so Exodus is a foretelling of God's relationship with the children of Israel and how it would be made manifest. It was a foreshadowing of how God's relationship would explode with his people in the New Testament, exploding in a sense of of just, um, you know, uh, evolving, evolving. Amen. All right. So, so this is what Exodus is, uh, all about. It's about liberating God's people and God dwelling with his people, redeeming the nation, giving us a foreshadowing example of the character of God and how he loves, protects, and provides uh, for his people. Again, Genesis is, it picks up, I'm sorry, Exodus picks up where Genesis leaves off. 
the nation of Israel is very young and it is in its infantry, um, infancy, infancy, what's going on with my brain, um, during Genesis, but it evolves and it grows through Joseph uh, and the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, there is a new king in town who is fearful and uh, envious of the multiplying of the Israelites. So he decides to enslave them because he's afraid that either they're going to rise up against them or they were going to connect with other nations to fight against them. And so he decided to kill all of their baby boys and they said, uh-uh, we won't let that happen. And there was one Hebrew boy, Moses, who was from the tribe of the Levites. So we're going to learn that in the upcoming chapters. Uh, oh, we already learned it in the past, previous chapters. He was he was of the Levites, but what we're going to learn about the Levites is that they were the priests. They were the priests. And so God, being the God that he is, had a reason for using someone from a priestly background, a prophet, to bring his people through. Uh, we learned that... Uh, 40 years after Moses went into exile because of the murder that he committed, he returned and he returned back and he said, let my people go, Pharaoh. And 40 years, I mean, he, uh, they escaped. God helped them uh, to escape into the wilderness. So God didn't let them escape and go directly into the promised land. They escaped and they went into the wilderness. Um, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy is going to take us through uh, the remainder of that story. But this is just the highlights. Uh, God met the children of Israel through Moses and Mount Sinai. He gave them the Ten Commandments that they were supposed to follow. And they decided, hey, we're going to do it our way. And, um, you know, we see we see how that worked out for them. And they, some of them had to lose their lives. And God gave them a second chance. And he dwelled amongst, amongst them. And finally, uh, Moses is who wrote the book. We know Rose, Moses wrote the book. And um, it is called or part of the Torah. And even though some scholars believe that Moses may have just dictated the book, there may have been a scribe, maybe even his brother Aaron, uh, who penned the book. But uh, we believe that Moses was the author of the book. God is the ultimate author, but... He used Moses. Um, and then the other part I think that I got as I was studying again is that Moses felt it important. He could have started with where the point in time where he began to um, uh, share or scribe or articulate the story. He could have started there, but he did not. He started with the book of Genesis because he wanted us to have a firm background. And so finally, the last thought on that, and uh, before I go into our study for tonight, um, is that um, he, he wanted us to understand his ancestry and in essence, as African-Americans, I believe that it is our ancestry, uh, that we are direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, if you go back in those historic times, uh, of course, we know and understand that man originated in Africa. So in essence, that puts us there. But then when you start to uh, consider where they were traveling from, where they 
came from and Ur and uh, Canaan and uh, Gonesh and uh, Goshen. I don't know why I keep wanting to call that. Uh, all of those areas before the separation, uh, those were territories in Africa. Uh, so, so anyway, all right, so let's get into uh, the study. I think we're starting at Genesis 20. Genesis 20. All right, let's see how far we can get. All right, so now we have come to where God is communicating to the children of Israel. So we're starting in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 20. Chapter 20. Um, and I believe... We may make our way all the way through... Uh, 23, maybe 22, 23. But anyway, as we go through, I'm gonna let you know. But anyway, all right, so uh, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, they left Egypt. Remember, they left Egypt, they were in Goshen, the nicer part of, of the enslavement. Pharaoh got jealous, envious, he started picking on them, you know, for no reason other than he had the power to do it. They crossed over the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness. So in the wilderness, God met them. He met them in the wilderness. He met them on Mount Sinai. And that's where God spoke to them through Moses with the Ten Commandments. So remember, uh, Moses, they came, they settled. And we used to watch this every year. Uh, with, what's his name? Charleston Heston uh, would do uh, the Ten Commandments, and I love that. I believe that with my oldest son, I was um, I was sitting in the house, and we were watching that. He was born April uh, the fifth, and so that had to have been around at or around Easter. I need to go back and, and check. Uh, 1993, April fifth. But we were watching uh, the Ten Commandments, and um, that was one of my favorite movies. But anyway, nonetheless, which is funny. That's funny. I, I never even put that two and two together, um, that I was watching that as I went into labor with him. Because oftentimes, uh, he reminds me, his leadership, his, his, his poise um, of Moses, right? A, a leader. To, to take God's people out of bondage. But anyway, um, I'm going to pack that one away and and, and um, do a deeper dive later. But we're talking about the Ten Commandments. So, so the Ten Commandments, in essence, it was just a rule book. It was a, a, a list of laws that God gave uh, to his children so that they understood how to relate to him. We learned that, you know, and uh, with Adam and Eve, as God taught them how to come into his presence, they passed those traditions down uh, to their children. They taught them what God taught. Uh, they taught their children what God had taught them. And so generation after generation. But in this instance, God is right there with them. And he's saying, look, I'm going to give you these Ten Commandments. I'm going to give you these Ten Commandments. Now, we know, and we're not going to argue this, we know that there were much more than ten. We know that there were more than ten, so we're not going to argue or go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls or try to debate. Now, for the sake of this teaching, we are focused on the 10 because of the emphasis that Moses put on those 10. But what God was doing, he was establishing a nation. And in establishing that nation, he was putting up the guardrails 
to help them not only to know how to interact with him, but to live a God-governed life. And how many of you know that living a life that is governed by God is the best life or the best way uh, to live? So anyway, so he gave them this list and uh, he intended that they adhere to the list, that they behave in a certain way. And the list was intended to give them a definitive, tangible ideal of, a, of the difference between what's right and what's wrong. The difference between what is good and what is evil. And it's not that they didn't know, but God wanted to remind them. He wanted to remind them and tell them exactly what to do and how they must obey him. Remember, they're coming out of a land that is not their own. They're coming out of a foreign land where they have had exposure to other customs. Uh, Again, these idol worshipers, they have seen signs and wonders because during that time, certain things were manifesting in the earth different than what we see today. So they had that exposure and God said, well, wait a minute. If we going into this promised land, I'm just going to lay it out there for you. And so he wanted to show them what sin was and what was worthy of correction or punishment when they did not (coughs) or refused to obey the commandment. So he wanted to show them these are the things that were important to God. These were the things that were important to their society and to their nation so that they could live a life that was pleasing to God, a life that was structured and ordered by God. All right. So the first commandment, no other gods. No other gods. There is only one God. So God commands us to worship him and no other gods. The first commandment helps us to understand that there is only one real God. There is only one true God. There is only one creator. There is only one God. And God puts so much emphasis on that. He made it the very first commandment. And for a lot of us, we allow things or people to become gods for us. Our jobs, our possessions, Even in some cases, our children, we allow these things to become gods. And during that time, they were worshiping the sun god. Remember, we learned about the the water gods. They were worshiping animals and, I mean, just ridiculous stuff. And God said, there is no god above me. And so that was the first commandment. Don't put any gods. There is no other God. Do not worship any other gods. They were worshiping gods. And so we later learn about uh, Baal. And even in our modern day time, they worship Allah and Krishna, Buddha. You know, they worship all of these gods. They even worship men. God said, put no other gods above me. The pleasure of our flesh becomes a God. We idolize these things. So he said, put, there is no other God above God. And he commands us to worship no other gods. That's something that we can live by today. The second commandment, the second commandment is to place no idols above God, no images. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
So you don't have to create an image of God. Every image that has been created is inferior to the God that we serve. God does not want us to worship things. He doesn't want us to worship things. And it's not so much that God doesn't want us to know what he looks like. But he does not want us to make images so that we can worship those images. We worship God in his entirety. God is holy. He is righteous. He is loving. He is all-powerful. He is all-wise. And so we must worship him and not the ideal of who we say that he is. So he said, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. We are not to make an image of God. First commandment, he said, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. There is no God above God. Now, this is the one, the third one, that I really feel like a lot of times we get confused. The Word of God says that we should not use the Lord's name in vain. And we ought to respect God's name. And a lot of people take that to mean that you cannot say God or Jesus without having something to follow up on. And that's not what he means. That means that when, and I look at it like this, when we were growing up in my father's house and my parents' house, my mom and my dad, we carried their name. That name represented who they were. And we came from a big family. There were 12 siblings and we lived in a neighborhood where most people knew my parents, and especially in the public places, the schools, community centers, you know, the places in the neighborhood, they knew my parents. And so when we were out in public, <laughs> we had a responsibility to uphold my parents' name by the way that we behave. And this is what God is saying here. He's saying, do not use my name in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That means that you can't be walking around here talking about you are a child of God and you're living wicked. That's what that means. We shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Fourth commandment. He admonishes us to keep the Sabbath day holy. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is why as we uh, continue in ministry, we will be having worship service on Saturdays. Not because I'm in the riffraff fight of what day is the first day of the week or what day is the last, but I do believe in the principle of honoring the Sabbath. 
not building a whole doctrine around it. But I believe it because the Bible says it. All right? So he admonished them to keep that day holy as God created the universe in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. He did that to show us that we ought to take a day of rest. And he gave us the Sabbath to rejuvenate, to rest as a symbol of resting, finishing, being done, being complete. Now, because we know Well, we might not know, but it's reasonable to understand that during that time when the commandments were pronounced, the way that we keep our calendars today is vastly different. And this is why I said I don't get into the the theological back and forth argument of any apologetics or anything like that because it may be near impossible to trace what the true Sabbath is based on their tradition. So as we apply it to our modern day lifestyles, our week begins with Sunday as our first day And it ends with Saturday as our last day. So this is why we here at Life Path Apostolic Agape House of Prayer have worship service on Saturday. We come together to worship God and to rest in His presence. Amen? All right, so the next one, the next one, and I know... My Mary loves this one. Honor thy mother and thy father. And so this commandment came with a promise that your days shall be made long. Honor your parents. Children must honor their parents. When you sin, when you dishonor your parents, you sin against God. When you disobey your mother and your father. When you disrespect your parents, you are guilty of breaking God's law. And so during that time when they would break one law, they were guilty of breaking the entire law. Again, This commandment came with a promise. You honor your mother and your father that your days shall be long. And I take it from a more practical stance that God knew. (laughs) These jokers, you disrespect your parents. They, I brought you in this. I'm going to take, no, I don't think that's what he was talking about. But these are principles to live by. And during that time, the children of Israel, we're going to learn a little bit more about that. They had a day of atonement for when they would break the law, they would come together and give a sacrifice to reconcile them back to good standing with God. And so... The Ten Commandments were intended to be followed each and every one. So one through ten, if you broke any one of them, you were breaking them all. And if you were to transition from this world to the next, having broken the law and not being reconciled, your fate has been sealed. All right. So the sixth commandment, do not murder. Do not murder. The word of God says 
Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. I don't know why, as we go through the commandments, people have such a hard time. Oh, we're not under the Mosaic law. Well, the commandments are meant to be kept. Although Jesus has saved our souls and we are saved under the blood, the commandments are meant to be similar to a mirror to show us what areas of our lives need to be corrected. Just like you look in the mirror and you see your face and you may have some spinach in your teeth. You don't just leave that spinach there. You get a toothpick or your the top of your tongue and get it out of there. Well, the commandments were meant to show us a reflection of it's almost like taking our pulse and understanding where we were. So God gave the commandment to not murder because only God gave life and only God can take it away. No Human being has the right to take a life. And if you murder, if you kill, you deserve death yourself. Jesus even went on to say that a person who has hate in his heart, who has hate, has murder in their heart. And so you're guilty of murder before God. Abortion is murder. Capital punishment is murder. Self-defense and taking a life is murder. God has not given us the right to take a life. There is always a choice. There is always a choice. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to choose to preserve my life over the life of another. But it does not mean that we have the right to take a life. Only God gave it, and only God can take it away. I pray that I'm never put in a position where I have to take a life to preserve my own because I know and acknowledge that it is a sin against God. The seventh commandment, it talks about adultery. And it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. We know that adultery is when you are in marriage and a man or a woman has a sexual relationship with another outside of their marriage. Sexual relationship with someone that is not their husband or wife and they go outside the marriage to have those relationships. Marriage is intended to last a lifetime. Now, I know that there are those who have had divorces, and it is unfortunate, but the word is clear that you are, if you remarry, get into another relationship, you are committing adultery. And so, I don't know. I mean, the way I look at it, the way the word talks about it, divorce is a sin. And we will be found guilty before God if we commit adultery. The Bible even talks about the lust of the eyes and sinning even a look. Now our society has made provision for divorce and even during this time we're going to learn that Moses made that provision but it was not because 
God's will. It was because of man's flesh. So where Moses permitted divorce, it did not change the law. All right. Commandment number eight, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Wow. We know and acknowledge that everything that we have belongs to God. But he allows us to have certain properties. And nobody has the right to steal. No matter how small, how large, we don't have the right to steal. It is against the commandments. And so the ninth commandment, thou shalt not lie. God loves the truth. God is the truth. He hates a lie. The enemy is the father of lies. We lie. We are guilty before God. And the Bible says in the 10th commandment, thou shall not covet. Thou shall not covet thy neighbor's house. So what does that mean? That means being envious of what you see that others have. What God has for you is for you. And you ain't got no business coveting what somebody else has. If God wanted you to have it, he'd give it to you. We got to get like Paul and be content with what God has given us. To be honest, as we go through these commandments, I know that I've broken them. And had I been living during that time, I would have been so guilty and, (laughs) and not able to fulfill these commandments. And this is why when Jesus came to bring forth salvation, it wasn't that the commandments were no longer needed. It was that he paid the cost for the atonement that needed to reconcile us back to God. And in him paying the cost, when he left, he left us a comforter, a confidant, a best friend, one that will rule and govern from the inside of us, his Holy Spirit. And so, so long as we're not quenching the Holy Spirit, it will do his job, which is to convict us as we endeavor to break any one or multiple of the Ten Commandments. Make sense? He gave us his Holy Spirit. He died on the cross for us. He took all of our sins. He took away the punishment for them. But it is by faith that we must receive the payment that he has given for our sins. That God will forgive us and we will go into eternal life. And we won't live eternal separation from God, which is hell, and go into eternal damnation. That's what he gave us. That's what he gave us in the Ten Commandments. I found something because I was just thinking one day about the Ten Commandments and the Ten Plagues. And I know God, oftentimes when there's a number, there's something to it. And so I went and I I haven't committed it to memory. I just started studying it. I literally just looked it up a couple of weeks ago and I started doing this study. But there is a correlation between the Ten Plagues and the Ten Commandments. One, God wanted us to see that each of those Ten Plagues represented a God that those Egyptians were worshiping. He said, I'm going to show you I'm better than any God that you worship. And each of those plagues relate directly to the commandment because God said, I don't want y'all falling into that pit. 
of worshiping those gods. And maybe I'll do a supplement on that. But for now, we are done. I think next we're going to talk about the tabernacle. We're going to talk about the um, uh, God dwelling amongst them. And so this study we did where we pick up Exodus 20 through 23. So there's those three chapters. Just read the Ten Commandments and then we'll pick back up at the tabernacle. All right, love you all.